All right, you guys, episode 43 is about to start with Artemis, and we're going to get into some really cool stuff. Uh, We're going to talk about nutrition and weight loss and why building muscle for women is really important, especially when it comes to weight loss. And the best yet is a full breakdown on how to get your first chin up, especially for women, because it's a lot more difficult for a woman than a man to actually do their first chin up. And we go through all different types of exercises, grip strength stuff, and it's going to be really, really good. I'm excited for you guys. And if again, if you have any questions, email me at rafal at empowerhp.ca. Check out the website, cuttheshitgetfit.com and follow me on social media and let's get this thing going. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafal Matuszewski, and joining me today is the one and only Artemis Scandaliti. Say hello. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Rafal. No problem. So to start us off, I always like asking all my guests, do you have any big plans for the weekend? Uh, I don't, actually. Um, I'm working on Sunday night. Uh, I work part-time for Cirque du Soleil as a strength coach, so I'm working part-time Sunday night and today I was just going to work on some online coaching work and uh, that's that's pretty much it and I might I we just moved here to Las Vegas which is where I live now so um, there's a kung fu school that's uh, the the owner of the kung fu school used to train with two of my instructors from my old school back in Fairfax Virginia so I was going to try and go and check that out I was going to do it tonight or tomorrow probably tomorrow so it's unfortunate because it's Easter weekend so um, you know and Eric my um, my partner he he's working on Sunday on Easter and uh, but I don't know it's it's just a different time for us since we just moved here um, but yeah, that's my, that's my life right now. <laughs> I have some, Eric has a, a week off from, from work. Uh, they, you know, it's in the theater, they have something called dark where they shut the show down. And that's when people who work for the show have, have their time off. So Eric has a dark period coming up starting next Wednesday as a week off. So we have a bunch of stuff planned over that week, dinners and it's his birthday. And so I guess we're just saving all our social activities for that week. Awesome. That works, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So can you tell the audience who you are, what you do and how did you get into this industry? Sure. Um, So I, I got into this industry. I started my journey in this industry uh, as a part-time spin instructor thir- thir- 13 years ago, maybe 14 years ago. It was like 2003. And um, before that, I before I started working in this industry, I worked in an office. I went through various office jobs. I started out um, as a contract specialist the United States Mint. I went to the George Washington University for undergrad, so I lived in the D.C. area for many years, and so I ended up working for the federal government down there, and I ended up being really good at procurement. I spent many years working in procurement, uh, doing contract management and administration, and I didn't, like, love it, but it it was a steady job, and it was good pay, and it was uh, something I actually ended up being pretty good at. And, um, and then I, from there I went to the other, I ended up transitioning into being an IT consultant where I worked for, uh, companies like IBM 
um, and then a smaller company called Acumen Solutions. And I, what I did is I became a business analyst and I would do software implementations for contract management softwares and also sales management softwares like Salesforce. So I would go in and meet with the client. I would map out their business processes and I would help them to map their business processes to whatever software they wanted to purchase. And then I would work with the developers and the implementation team to, to help roll it out. So I did that. Um, and all the while I was working part-time as a spin instructor. And then I transitioned full-time into this industry in 2008. So gosh, almost 10 years ago. So like nine years ago. And what sparked that transition was I had been working part-time in the industry as a group fitness instructor. And I really, really loved working in fitness. This is what I wanted to do, but I had this fear of leaving my steady office job. Um, I, cause it definitely, when you start working in this industry, you start working and you're making virtually nothing. And when you're not working, you're not getting paid, you know, benefits are pretty much non-existent. Vacation time is pretty much non-existent. So, um, it, it was a very scary leap to make. So it just took years and years of or not years and years, it took about five years of working part-time in the industry before I made the leap to full-time, before I was like, I can't take it anymore. I hate my office job. I can't work in an office. Um, you know, I, I want to, I really want to work in fitness. That's where my passion lies. That's what I love to do. That's, that's what I, when I go in and I teach my, when I was teaching my group fitness classes, I could really feel how I was impacting the people who came to my class. I was either helping them to start their day off right or helping it to, helping them to to de-stress at the end of the day and just overall over time, just helping them to make healthy choices for, you know, in their lives. And that I felt like I was really making a difference there and less so making a difference working as a consultant. Um, I was making really good money, but it's true that money is not everything. Um, and the reason why working in an office just didn't suit me was, I, from a very young age, I was about, I started out taking ballet. So at age three and a half, I grew up in Boston and I started taking ballet at age three and a half. And I danced for 20, 23 years of my life. Uh, I went as a child, as a child and a teen, I went to the Boston ballet and I trained with the Boston ballet and I was in their children's cast of the Nutcracker, Midsummer's Nice Dream. And and other performances that they had. And so, and I went to ballet camps during the summer. It was, it was a huge part of my life. Dance was a huge part of my life. And, um, then I chose to go on to college rather than, you know, pursue something professionally in that area. And, uh, after college I discovered Kung Fu. And so I was someone who has always been always moving, you know, always training in something athletic, whether it's dance or, or martial arts. And, um, so it was very strange for me to be sitting at a desk for, for long periods of time and not be doing something active. So I was used to just intense training every single day for multiple hours a day. So it just really didn't suit my personality to be confined in an office or a cubicle or sitting at a desk. I just, I remember working in an office and I could not wait to get the hell out of there at five o'clock and go teach my spin class or go training Kung Fu. And, and then I, I looked at people around me and they would still be sitting there tapping away at the computer. I'm like, don't you guys want to get the hell out of here? Like <laughs> go like get up and move around and walk. Like what, you know, I just, I couldn't fathom it. Um, so anyway, that's what really kind of just like drove me to, to work in this industry 
full time because it was just it's something I'm very passionate about. And then just how, you know, just the the schedule and, and it just it suits me much better. Um, and so after that, uh, let's see if I can make this short. I, I started working in a when I started working full time, I started working in a commercial gym. And that was in D.C. And then I moved back to my hometown of Boston in 2009. Um, the, re- the reason for that was my dad had had a heart attack in 2008, and I just wanted to be closer to my family. My dad's fine. He's great. Um, and and then that's when in 2009, that's when I met Eric, my partner. And he is an athletic trainer. He was working for Boston University at the time. And we decided that we wanted to open up a kettlebell training studio, a personal training and, and kettlebell training gym. And so we did that and we ran that for five years and we closed it last year in the fall. And we moved out to Las Vegas because Eric had an awesome opportunity to work for Cirque du Soleil as a head therapist, as a head athletic trainer. And, um, and then I applied for a position as a part-time strength coach and I ended up getting that position. So I'm working for Cirque du Soleil part-time. And for us, it was running the business was great. I, if I were to do it all over again, I would definitely run the business again, but I would do things differently. Um, the reason why we close it is we just got to the point where Eric wanted to get back into rehabilitation. He had, you know, it was a nice break for him to get out of the athletic training world and get out of working in rehab and really focus on being a strength coach and applying his knowledge as an athletic trainer to being a strength coach. But he was really itching to get back into, into his field. And also as a couple running a small training gym is really, really stressful. Um, I, it's really stressful whether you're a couple or not. It's, um, it's, it's a very stressful job <laughs> to, to find and you have to be, you have to have be a certain kind of crazy to do it for sure. Um, it's funny. I was watching this documentary called deli man on, um, on Amazon prime and the way these, and it's about these p- people who own delis and delicatessens and Jewish delicatessens. And they were talking about, you have to be absolutely crazy to want to own and run a delicatessen. And they said, you know, that it's 24 seven profits are very, very small. There's a lot of expenses. There's a lot of overhead. It's a lot of hard work. Your, your, your deli is your job. And I turned to Eric when we were watching, I was like, God, it's like, sounds like a training gym. Um, (laughs) so with that, you know, being a couple running a training gym, it's like, we really didn't have a personal life. We didn't have the quality of life that we wanted to have as a couple. So there were just a lot of things that, that, that came to, to head last year. And, um, Eric had this opportunity and we're like, this is, we need to take advantage of it because this is the change that we need to have happening in our lives for our future. You know, when we would fast forward the movie to our, our life five years, if we were still running the gym, it wasn't what we wanted to be doing. So, um, so anyhow, so we closed the gym and we moved out here and we, so far we've loved Vegas. The weather is amazing. We hear the summer is going to be like crazy hot, but so far, like the, the winter and the spring has been absolutely gorgeous. And I wake up to palm trees and mountains every day. And, and it's been really cool working for Cirque du Soleil. Um, this just to work in, in a completely different environment with elite athletes and, and to go back to the corporate world after 
even though it's a private company, but you know, it's just that corporate environment after running your own business and being your own boss. And it's amazing how we appreciate so much because of what we went through as owning a a small training gym because just the the challenges that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Like now, like our stress level is like, it's like completely, it's like almost non-existent, which is great. So, um, and we take everything with a grain of salt. Like it's funny to watch how people get stressed out about certain things at, you know, at, at work and, and we're like, what? You don't even know stress, you know? So um, anyway, so that's what I'm doing now. I'm here in Vegas. I'm working part-time for Cirque du Soleil. I provide general, um, coaching support to them. I'm, I don't have a regular show right now. Uh, although that will probably change within the next month or so, but I like, so I provide support generally where there's, um, where they need some extra support. Like this month I'll be at mind freak. And then next month I'll be splitting my time between Ka and O. And then at the beginning of June, I'll be supporting Ka. Uh, and Ka is like perfect for me because that is, um, actually the, there's a, so the Kung Fu school that I was talking about earlier, so the man who owns it, he owns it with this, his wife and his wife is a contortionist for Ka. And, uh, so it's just like, Ka is like my dream environment because I walk in there and everyone's just doing wushu and I like all the wushu that they're doing, all the Kung Fu that they're doing. I'm like, I know that, I know that. And I just like, I just want to like be there every day, all day. Um, but you know, that's, that's not possible, but hopefully I'll get some more time at Ka. I'm really excited that I'm going to be there for, uh, next month and, and in June. Um, so I do that and then I still have, um, my online training business. So I have one-on-one clients, I have group clients, I have some people who, who buy single sale, single sale programs. And so I provide online support to them. I have a Facebook group, email support, all that. So I, I have that going on. Um, so that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. Man, that was a long, long answer. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure some people are like falling asleep right now. Uh, but that's my that's my journey. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I'm gonna go in different directions with this. Starting off with like the beginning of your story. Um, I like stories hearing about people switching careers and getting into fitness, and they're figuring out that this is their passion. So that was super cool. Because I remember having another woman on my show, and she actually used to work for the FBI. And then got into nutrition coaching. I'm like, that is such a different like spectrum of careers. But yeah, she's finally happy doing what she's doing now. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, was it your parents that kind of pushed you in getting an office job? Or was that kind of like you just kind of fell into it? I just kind of fell into it. My parents are so amazing and supportive. Like, whatever, whatever I want to do, unless it's completely crazy they are always they've always been so supportive of me and encouraged me they actually when I was like I want to leave the office and I want to go through this they were like yeah (laughs) you know they were like do it so um it was I, I think I just fell into it it was just like I graduated from school I was living in Washington DC my mom was like okay you're going to get this much support, these many months support from us after you graduate. And then we're done supporting you and you got to figure it out. And I was like, all right. So I just needed to get a job. And so, um, the, the, I ended up getting a job working for the federal government at the U S mint. And I was even working part-time as a, um, as a server, as a waitress, um, at Clyde's 
this restaurant in Georgetown, which is a really great restaurant. And they have Clyde's restaurant group. They have all these really, they own McCormick and Schmicks. And anyway, but so I was like really just busting my ass to make money in the office and like waiting tables on the weekends. And, uh, so yeah, that was it. And then just the more and more, and what opened me up to fitness was like when I went to my first spin class, I went to my first spin class in like 1998. So it was a year after I graduated from school. Was, oh my God. So, uh, and I went to that spin class and I just felt like I was completely transformed. I don't know why. I just, I was like, wow, I really love spinning. I really love the energy in this room. I love how I felt when I walked out the door and I thought, gosh, I want to feel, and I could feel how other people were transformed from just from like taking that group fitness class and, and exercise is transformative. It really is in, 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 in whatever modality it is. And, um, and I remember just the, how I felt like the instructor had impacted me and I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be the instructor. I want to do that. And so that was like my first epiphany of like, this is what I really want to be doing, but I'm not sure how to make this my full-time living. Um, and then just years and years of working in the office. I remember the last year that I was working in the office, I completely dreaded going to work. I dreaded waking up in the morning. I dreaded putting my clothes on. I, it was just like, I was depressed. I felt like this huge weight on my shoulders that I had to get dressed, put my makeup on, do my hair. Oh my God, I got to go to the office and sit on my ass. And like, I, I just, and I was like, I don't want to feel like this. Life is too short. And one day I was sitting next to one of my coworkers and I was talking to her and I and was telling her how I felt. I said, do you feel this way about work? She's like, no, I don't. She's like, you should not feel that way about work. You should not hate coming in here that much. She's like, that's not how you should feel. Cause I thought I was like, well, maybe everyone feels like this you know, right. And then when she said that to me, I thought, wow, I really need to get out of here. I really need to go and do something that I really want to do. Um, yeah, so that was, and so that's, I think that was just kind of like the drive of me getting out of there. And I just, you know, I got some savings together. I got my national personal training certification, my CPT. I got my kettle, my first kettlebell certification. I got all that in order. And I had already been working part-time for a commercial gym. So, um, when I started telling people that I was going to transition full-time to work as a personal trainer, I had two clients, oh no, three clients, one-on-one clients right off the bat who were ready to start training with me. So when I left my office job and then the next day went into my, my training job, I had three one-on-one clients was like, which was way ahead of the game with, and compared to any trainer pretty much who starts out in the industry full time. So I was off to a really good start already having built my business a little bit through part-time group fitness. Um, so, so I did, I, it's not like I just, blindly jumped off a bridge. I actually had a plan and I spent about six to eight months implementing this plan, getting my, my certifications in order, getting some savings. So I knew that I could pay my rent for three months as I build up my business and then just making sure that I had some clients lined up on day one. So I actually had some income coming in the door on day one. And I already had income from my group fitness. So I, 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 even boosted my, my group fitness hours too, to help pay for, for all my bills and and rent and all that, all that. So you need a plan. Like if you're going to make a leap, like you have to have a plan. It has to be like a calculated risk. It can't just be like, okay, I'm going to go and do this and just, and no plan. You can't do that because I mean, and maybe eventually you'll be successful, but you'll, you'll crash pretty hard. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. 
No, that's a, that was a great answer because I think a lot of people sometimes kind of fall into a job and then they're like hating their life and they're like, oh, I should just do something else, but they don't have like the courage to go after it. So it's kind of cool to see a success story in that sense. Well, so many, when I was telling people that I was leaving my office job to go and work full time as a personal trainer, people were like, are you crazy? Wow. I wouldn't have, they were like, I wouldn't have the courage to do that. You're really brave to do that. So many people said that to me and I thought, huh, either like, either they're like, either they're cowards, like they just don't have like the, they don't have the courage to do it right for the, or the strength or whatever, or I am really a lunatic or maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. So, um, so when I had a lot of people say that to me, it did make me second guess myself, but, uh, but I, but then I just had to be like, no, I have to just like my mom. And then when I would bring that up with my mom, my mom would say, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? She's like, so maybe you're not successful and you go back to working in an office. She's like, you can always go back. And I was like, yeah, that's true. I can always go back. Yeah, there you go. Um, I was going to ask, did you have any like major struggles when you first started as a coach coaching people? Uh, no, not really. Okay. But I think that I think that's because I had already spent so many years working um working part-time in group fitness, so I already knew and I was successful at that. I I had and I don't know, I think it was a combination of just like, I loved what I was doing. And because I loved what I was doing, I ended up being, my passion came through my passion and my care and how much I cared came through in my teaching. And so, um, trans, so transitioning to being, cause I know not all group fitness instructors can be personal trainers and not all personal trainers can be group fitness instructors. Um, but I was able to make that transition to be a personal trainer pretty easily. It really wasn't that, that hard for me. Um, and then just after spending my child, like all, all the years of my life being someone who was coached, um, I, I, I think I, I knew, and I know, again, I know like a lot of athletes are just athletes and maybe they're not good coaches, but for some reason I was able to take that learning from my coaches growing up, my teachers growing up and, and be able to apply it to being a coach myself. Awesome. Um, did you ever have like an issue back then? What, when you first started training, like trying to convince men to train with you and they didn't say want to because you're a woman and they just believe that, you know, women don't know how to train guys. Did you ever fall into something like that? I did have, I don't know if I've, I think it was more that men were intimidated by my strength and skill because I was (laughs) for my black belt in Kung Fu. Um, and you know, and, and physically as a woman, I was pretty strong. Um, so I think that it was more that it was sort of, it could be intimidating for some men, but I never, I never experienced any man I know I was lucky. I never experienced any man not wanting to train with me because they didn't think I was a capable coach. I did have more female clients than male clients, but the male clients I had, I had a lot of respect from them. And, um, so more, I, I would say more challenges that I faced were not from clients, but from fellow male coaches. There was, Oh, okay. And that was something, 
And that was just very prevalent to me in the commercial gym setting. After I left the commercial gym setting, I, I really, I think because I chose the male coaches, I've chosen the male coaches I surround myself by, but, um, and in both locations, cause I worked in a commercial gym in DC and I worked in a commercial gym in Boston and at both commercial gyms, I experienced jealousy and, um, just men, my, my fellow male coworkers, uh, feeling insecure and, and that manifested in ways of, um, them acting out against me. And it, it, they, they made, I had a lot of challenges in the commercial gym setting with, with, with male coaches. Um, so I really had to fight a lot harder to, um, I guess just to, to establish myself with, with my coworkers. And I, so yeah, I would say I would most of my challenges were with male coworkers in the commercial gym setting. Yeah, Cause I remember when I worked at a commercial gym and I absolutely hated it. Cause it was like, even though they're a coworker, they'll go to your clients and undercut you. So then they can steal your clients or if they see you talking to another person and they're kind of interested in what you do, they'll come swoop in right after to kind of make the sale. And it was just so sales orientated. And I'm like, I'm just here to train people and help people while all these other people are just out there to make a quick buck. There was a lot of cattiness and on the, but not from the women, (laughs) but I mean, no, not really from the women, more from like my, my male coworkers in terms of, you know, talking saying bad things about me behind my back or spreading rumors or just doing things to try and bring me down. Um, so it's all right. Made me a strong person. So I had to stand up for myself and fight for myself. So it was just, you know, I, that's what I did. And I just held my head high and I came in and I did my job and, and that's what you have to do. You just have to hold your head high. You have to be confident in, in your skills and in your knowledge. And you just have to focus on your clients and what, what you're there to do. And you just come in, you do it, stay professional and you leave and you just try to, you know, let that, whatever BS that's going on, let that just be static in the back of your head, you know? Definitely. The, the cool thing I've been seeing the last couple of years is when I go to conferences, you're seeing the numbers of women increase every single year. And I'm like, that's freaking mm-hmm. awesome. Because so I remember when I first got into the industry, you go to a conference, it's like 90% guys and you have the three girls in the back that don't ask questions or anything. And recently I just had Tony and Dean at my gym doing that hip and shoulder seminar. And I would say it was a good 50-50 split of women and men. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is great. Yeah, it's great. It really, 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 really is. And that kind of brings me into my next question is like for women's health and like body image and everything like that, do you feel that the women in our industry are doing enough to educate all these women that, you know, that whole myth of if you touch a dumbbell, you're just going to automatically turn into the Hulk? (laughs) I do. I think, you know, I think they're doing everything that they can in their power um, the women who are leading that charge in this industry are they daily they are online posting about about lifting and, and helping to edu- educate other women about lifting and, and the benefits of strength training and uh, and the importance of strength training and um, it, so I think they're doing everything they can in their power and I it's not where it should, I don't know. It's not 
I think it's an, it's going to be an ongoing process. Things are much better right now. and Women are much better educated about the importance and benefits of strength training today than they were 10 years ago. And, um, and I think that it's still just, there's still work in progress. There's still a lot of work to be done, but, um, I think that the women who are leading it, they are doing the best that they can because they're on their daily, they're putting out information, they're keeping it positive. Um, and they're helping women to, to learn that they can build confidence and feel empowered through strength training. Awesome. And so the whole, like, you know, how strength training changes your body, like more and more I'm seeing, um, you know, cause you are going to, you know, you're going to build muscle, your body's going to change. So your body with muscle is going to look different than your body without muscle. But more and more, I see these before and afters of out being put out there. And even Rachel Ray had a whole segment a couple weeks ago on, uh, which I, it was a really great segment. I really, I really liked it a lot. Um, she had a coach on there and then she had a woman who had put out a before and after and the before and after was, uh, the woman had a goal of like weight loss and, um, she had her before was her body with, she didn't have, she had, um, had more, she didn't have like a large lean mass to, to fat ratio. And then she got on to her weight loss journey. She started strength training and exercising and all that and, and being better about her nutrition. And then her after was her body with a higher lean, lean body mass to fat ratio. And in the, the second one, um, she actually weighed more. She looked like when you looked at the picture, she looked like she ha, um, weighed less than the before picture, but she actually weighed more in the after picture than in the before picture because muscle weighs more than fat. But it was more aesthetically pleasing. It's really what women want to to achieve aesthetically. And more and more, I see these before and afters like that, which is helping to educate women that, you know, when you strength train, you, your the scale may stay the same, or it might even go up a couple of pounds. But aesthetically, when you take a picture of before and after, you're going to look like leaner and thinner or not thinner, but like leaner in that after picture, even though you might weigh more than that before. So it's not really about the scale. So I think more and more I see before and afters coming out like that. And I think that's really, really important to help educate women about strength training because when women are afraid of putting on muscle, they're afraid of, like you said, turning into the Hulk when in fact you're not, you might, your weight might stay the same. You might gain a couple of pounds, but you're not going to look like the Hulk. You're actually going to look more fit and lean than you did in that before picture when you had less muscle. So, um, yeah, so I think more and more stuff like that's coming out, which I think is great. And then you're always going to have that sect of women. You are always going to have that small percentage of women who don't want to strength train, who don't want to lift, who don't want any muscle, no matter what they're just there. And you can't, it's, you know, they're, they're a hard, they're a tough crowd to, to, to change. So you just focus on 
I think it's important. And I think all the women out there who are leading this charge, all the coach, female coaches out there who are leading this charge, they focus on their message and putting their message message out there positively. And they focus on the groups of people who are buying into that message. And they ha- allow those groups of people who are, who are, who support their message to be their messengers and spread the word to, to more women and more women. Right. So, um, so I think that that's all you can really do. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned about the whole like weight and the scale. How do you help a woman who kind of weighs herself every day or multiple times in a day to eventually just weed her off of that? Oh my god! I know. <laughs> that is such a, just that something like that just totally screws with your mind because yeah. your your body retains different amounts of water throughout the day. So in the morning you might weigh one weight, and then you know three or four hours later you might be like four pounds heavier, right? And, and women are like, oh, my gosh, did I gain four pounds in just a week? No, impossible. Can't do that in, like, a four-hour period. Um, so with women like that, I, I will I will have them. I say, okay, listen, you can weigh yourself, but you can weigh yourself two to three times a week. It has to be at the same time of day on the same days. So I'll, I'll start with that. I'll, I won't like rip the scale out of their hands completely. I'll let them weigh them their, themselves like two to three times a week at first, but it has to be on the exact same days of the week at the same time of day every week. And then I'll just slowly wean them off it from there. Um, and, and slowly weaning them off, like let them have that. And then, okay, so now let's focus on your training. Let's focus on what are your goals in your training? What are your strength goals in your training? And have them really start to, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it's definitely something that you start to see a mental transition, maybe like four to six weeks into training someone in terms of where their focus goes, if it goes from the scale to actually what they're doing in their training and their their performance in their training or their results with their strength goals in their training. So it's definitely a gradual process, but you have to give them a little bit of what they're doing. And then you just have to try and shift their focus on to something that's more constructive, uh, which is, you know, whatever they're going to be doing in their training with you and whatever their goals are in their training with you and goals and their goals need to be performance goals. They're not allowed to be a number on the scale goals. Right. Oh, definitely. Like I, I think I maybe maybe said this on this show before, but I remember I had a client where she probably dropped one or two dress sizes. She was a completely different person, and she's like, "Oh, I want to step on the scale," and I'm like, "Yeah, maybe we shouldn't." She's like, "No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Like I can take it." And like mm-hmm. she stepped on the scale, and she was up, I think, two or three pounds. But she's like a completely different person, and it just screwed up her mind so much, and she was like crying, and I'm like. I shouldn't have let you go on the scale because like she was able to do body weight chin-ups and deadlift heavy and I'm like you're a different person like you don't look like how you started but the scale that whatever number pops up always screws up in the head for some reason yeah the scale you know I think people have to look at the scale as a tool you know it's and it has to be used as a tool it's not a punishment it's and it's not something, I think it's good to know, generally know what you weigh, 
Um, always keeping in mind that you're going to have like a three to five pound range for like water weight or whatever, especially for women, like the time of the month, like that's a huge, there's, there's probably like two weeks in a month that, you know, 10 days in a month that a woman is weighing in more than what her actual tissue weight is because of hormones and water and all that. And, um, it's, it's good to generally know, I think, because you know, I'm, I'm 41. So it's like when you get into your, as you're getting older, I think it's important to just make sure you're maintaining a lean body mass to fat ratio and like a healthy weight for your, your height and, and, um, and your body type and your build. Uh, but it's not something that should be like, it it doesn't determine your worth, you know? And anyway, it's, it's hard to, to, to get away from it, but I'm not saying like never weigh yourself, but when you get on the scale, you have to just like keep in mind that, you know, your body's going to fluctuate depending on how much water you're retaining. And yes, you're probably going to weigh more if you have more muscle on your body and, um, and it should be a tool and it's not a torture device. And I think what you said with like having performance goals is just so much better than I want to drop three pounds kind of works. Cause you know, if I can get a woman to do her first chin up and deadlift her body weight or more, she's already pretty lean and strong and she's probably lost weight anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I think like when it comes to chin ups and pull ups, like that is such a, I love, I talk about this a lot that I think chin ups and pull ups are such a fantastic performance goal because you have to be at an optimal lean body mass to fat ratio and optimal body weight for, for yourself as an individual in order to be able to do an unassisted body weight chin up or pull up. So, um, so that this without even getting on the scale, just focusing on that and working towards that. And when you can finally do one, you know, for sure, if you can pull your body weight up against gravity over a bar, you know that you are at an optimal body weight for yourself. Because if you were carrying extra weight, it would be very hard for you to do that, and you probably wouldn't be able to do that. So, not only have you built, uh, not only have you achieved strength goals because you've increased upper body and core strength in order to do that chin up, but you have, but you have also achieved any sort of fat loss goals you might have, and because you're a, because you are at, you are definitely at an optimal body weight for for your body. So how do so you, I, sorry, when that. No, it's okay. I was just going to say like when you try to get women to do their first chin up, like what, what's the progression that you like to put them through? Cause there's so many different like assisted exercises out there. What is kind of the best approach to kind of build up the body strength to get that first chin up? I have women or men and women uh, start on the floor. So I teach uh, pull-ups from the floor up. So uh, I'll have them practice floor hollows first so they can learn that it's the, even though the pull-up is an upper body pull, it, it requires tremendous core strength. So you need to learn how to tap into using your abdominals to help you with that pull. So I'll have them do um, hollow floor pulls to learn how to engage the hollow position and the importance of the hollow position and engaging your core in the hollow position. So I have them start there. And then um, I'll usually combine that with 
movements that will help to build upper body strength and trunk stability. So TRX rows, um, any, any sort of push-up variation from hand walkouts to eccentric push-ups to if they can do push-ups to push-ups, um, to building and both, all those will build that trunk stability and upper body strength and then i'll have them take it to the bar and just have them start to do some straight arm hangs so they'll take their hollow position to the bar instead of doing hollow arm pulls on the floor then they'll start to do some just straight arm hangs in the hollow position so they can kind of get the feel of what it's like to hang from the bar in the hollow position and also um they can kind of see where their grip strength is at for their upper body their hanging strength is at and then from there, after they build that up, I'll have them work into some flexed arm hangs. And even if they can only hold their flexed arm hang for like five seconds, it's a start. So um, starting to do that and uh, combine that with some band-assisted pull-ups. And then once they have start to get, move along the lines of like a 15 second, they're able to hold like three sets of a 15 second flexed arm hang. Then I'll start to work in some eccentric pull-ups, some negatives in that. It's so like, we'll say you know, two days a week, they're doing band assisted one day a week, they're doing flexed arm hangs. And then I'll start to work in another day a week, a fourth day a week, some eccentric pull-ups or some pull-up negatives. And, and the reason why I wait to incorporate the negatives is because if they don't have that flexed arm hang strength, you'll see them get up to go and do a negative and they'll just, they'll get up and they'll just sort of like plummet down and you don't want them to be like crashing down. Yeah. Like, right? So you want them to be like they have success and that they can actually slowly lower themselves from that, um, from that flexed arm hang position. Um, so that's, that's how I start from the floor and then I, I build it up to, to the bar. And then there's some accessory movements that I have people work on. Um, ab rollouts are awesome. Um, cause the whole, your whole anterior chain is locked down the way it needs to be locked down for a pull up when you're doing an ab rollout. So, um, so, so you roll out and then you're like, you're pulling yourself back. If you think about it, when you're, when you're coming back from that, that rollout, you're pulling yourself back the way you'd be pulling yourself up over a a bar while keeping your anterior chain locked down. So I have people work on ab rollouts. I usually have them start on the TRX and then progress them to the ab wheel. Um, then I have people work on hanging leg raises and, um, uh, sometimes I'll have people start out on the floor and do floor leg raises. Like I'll set up a bar on J hooks on a rig and have them do floor leg raises there so they can kind of get the feel for it. And then I have them take it to the bar and they don't have to get their, Feet, it's not about getting toes to bar with hanging leg raises. What it's about is, and, and even if they just get their feet up, like their legs up 45 degrees, like that's fine. What it's about, it's about learning how to um, start to apply, start to make that static hang a dynamic hang because the pull-up is a dynamic hang. And so it, so by even if you can't pull yourself up over the bar with your arms, well, let's, let's get your legs being that, that motion. That's that, that, that adds the, the dynamic to the, it makes it a dynamic hang. Um, and so it teaches them to learn how to engage their lats and use their abdominals to help pull their legs up. 
And, um, so I'll have them work on hanging leg raises too. So those are some accessory movements that I have, I have people work on as they're working through their band assisted pull-ups, as they're working through their flexed arm hangs and their, their, um, their negatives. Awesome. I was going to ask for the hollow position on the floor and on the bar, how long do you like to have your clients stay in that position to hold it? So on the floor, I would say, um, if they're working through hollow arm pulls, if they have both legs off the ground, I'll have them do, and the hollow arm pulls are like, they take a dowel or they imagine that they have like a pull-up bar in their hands and they just like kind of pull their elbows down towards their rib cage. Like they would, if they were doing a pull-up while they have both feet off the ground, I'll have them do, um, usually a set of five to 10. Um, you can also do those one legged cause the two legged can be pretty challenging. So one legged, they could just have one foot on the ground, knee bent, and then one leg straight and they'll do like five each side. Um, if they're doing it for time, if they're doing like a hollow rock and holding it for time, anywhere from like 15 to 30 seconds, 30 seconds of a hollow rock. I mean, if you've done it, like that can be torture. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. start out with like 15 seconds, kind of see where people are at. And, um, I think 15 seconds is a good place to start and then build up with like five, second increments if you're doing something for time like that and what do you but what do you think about like uh, grip strength for pull-ups and chin-ups um building grip strength or like what grips the um yeah building grip strength is i find sometimes like when people get in that chin-up position like having the hands turned um like palms facing you they kind of sometimes complain that their forearms are fatiguing faster than everything else like how do you combat that? So, um, I think a suitcase kettlebell suitcase carries can be great. Um, just making sure that when they do the suitcase carries, they're not doing the suitcase carries and then going into a hang. So they should be doing their suitcase carries maybe at the end of training. Um, or even just like kettlebell rows, just working on rows are great. Some horizontal rows, TRX rows, single arm TRX rows, uh, kettlebell rows, suitcase carries, uh, those can really help to build up strength. And then just the hanging itself, like even strain arm hangs themselves will help to, to, to build up, to build up strength. And I think it's important to note too, I always have people, um, when they, uh, when they're starting out with their pull-ups, to do an easier grip first. So to train the underhand grip, the, 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 the chin up grip or a neutral grip first and build up strength in those grips before they start to train the, the prone grip. Um, unless for some reason, like for example, I had this client and, um, she was from Turkey and she used to be a competitive swimmer in Turkey. So like they would do in the, her strength training for, swimming they would do pull-ups they would do overhand grip pull-ups so the underhand grip was the overhand grip was a more familiar grip for her so she came to train with me after she had had her second child like eight months after she had had her second child and when we started to get into hangs and pull-ups she just felt comfortable going straight to the overhand grip um so unless for some reason like the person has trained overhand grip in the past and they're used to overhand grip and underhand grip is not comfortable for them i generally have people start out with an underhand or a neutral grip personally when i started to build up my pull-up strength i started neutral grip and then i transitioned to a prone grip um, underhand grip for me is not a really comfortable position for me um, so you have to 
you know, generally either neutral or underhand is going to be a good grip to start with. And, um, and then after you figure what, you know, what works for the person in terms of grip, then you can start to build up strength in that grip and then add on the prone grip. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember, I think Dan John said this, that usually guys who want to have like a goal of being able to do 20 pull-ups in a row, he's like, well, you kind of have to see if they can even hang on to the bar for that time frame. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like you can just do like timed holds on the bar to see if you can actually hold yourself up there long enough to do that many reps. Yeah. And even, um, I mean, if you have access to like monkey bars, you know, doing something like that, just going through some dynamic hanging like that. Um, but yeah, that's funny. Cause I was, okay. So this is just a little story. So <laughs> I, uh, I taught, um, at a strong first kettlebell certification in Los Angeles last month. And one of my assistants, Rebecca Rouse, um, she is a strong first instructor and she's also an iron maiden too. Um, so we were chatting, she's like insanely strong and she, we were talking about pull-ups and she had recently tested her max number of pull-ups cause she was going to do something for, um, she was going to participate in this tactical strength challenge that, strong first has twice a year and she could do 26 pull-ups. So I was like, Holy oh my God. <laughs> I was like, Rebecca, you got to show me the video. So she showed me the video and she's like, yeah, she's like, but then, and you don't really think about that. Cause you're just thinking about like pull-ups. Like you're just thinking about like hitting that number of pull-ups. She said, yeah, I just started to get really tired. Cause it took her like a minute and a half to do it. Maybe almost two minutes to, to do them. Wow. She's like, yeah. She said, as she approached like those final, like, six or seven pull-ups towards the end of it she's like my grip was just like so fried you know and she used to do gymnastics so she under she has crazy strong grip from her gymnastics background but um but yeah it's it, if you're trying to like hit a max number of pull-ups you got to make sure you have that grip strength so you can hang on you know man 26 that's crazy <laughs> yeah, and they were they were prone grip it was it was bananas it was totally bananas Man, um, I wanted to go back to coaching women for one more question about it. What's the biggest obstacle that you face when you're coaching a woman? Like, is it body image issues? Is it like their self-confidence? Is it their eating habits? Like, what's kind of the most common thing you find? Confidence. Confidence, Confidence. and negative self-talk. And then I think those things lead into the, the body image and... Um, and I don't know so much about the eating habits, but maybe a little bit into the heating habits too, but confidence. Oh God. I mean, I think that women, we are the worst at beating ourselves up. We are just like the worst at, at putting, we are like the supreme being of putting ourselves down in our heads all the time. Um, so when women come to me and you know, they're a typical, it's very common for me to see women come in and they're just completely beating themselves up and talking badly about themselves and I need to change this and I'm not good at this and I have no upper body strength and da 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 da, da. And so just helping them to give those give them those moments in their training when they start training with me that they have those winning moments, right? Those mastery experiences that help them to build that self-efficacy so that they can start to build that confidence and 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 feel like they're winning every time they come in and, and then just helping them to change their, their negative self-talk into positive scripts. Like 
why are you thinking like this? Like, what, what is this accomplishing? Why are you being self-destructive? Let's, let's change that around. Like, what do you really want this script to be? Would how, how positive, like, what do you really want the outcome to be? And what do you really want to be saying to yourself? Um, so yeah, those are definitely like the two, the two things. Last year I was at a, um, uh, so I'm a, I'm a Reebok ambassador and I was at a Reebok summit last year for ambassadors and they had the speaker in Steve Shenbaum and he said, uh, it was, I just, I love this. He said, if you took that voice in your head and you made it a coach, would you hire them? Not that your clients are going to be, you know, they're coming in to be coaches, but it's, it just kind of like anytime I have any negative thoughts going through my head, I think about that. And it's like, no, like it's no. And, and be, you know, you don't want to have a coach who's constantly putting, putting you down or putting, you know, or having like negative self-talk, you know, you want to have like positive thoughts and there's you no, know, definitely a whole physiological process that, that reacts to the thoughts that you're having, whether they're positive or negative. So why not have positive thoughts so you can have positive outcomes and positive physiological reactions. So do you think you can ever like get rid of the negative self-talk or is it just something you need to kind of be aware of it and then kind of be better at catching it first before you actually say it out of your mouth? I think if as humans, as humans, we're always going to have negative thoughts and, and, and negative self-talk. It's just, if you're never thinking, if you never have anything negative running through your mind ever at any point in time, then I'm sorry, but you're not human. So um, <laughs> it's just part of being human. So it's about recognizing, you know, making it a habit that you recognize that that thought is in your head. It's not productive. It's self-destructive. It's not helping you and to acknowledge it and then to just get it out of your head and to, to turn your thoughts to, to something more positive. So it's making it a habit to reduce the negative thoughts that you have running through your head and increase the positive thoughts that you have going through your head. Do you think women's confidence also has a role with like, say if they have a supportive spouse at all? Cause I know there's been times where you know, I've had clients when they're trying to lose weight and like they're telling me that one of the biggest struggles is they come home and then their spouse is like eating a whole pizza while they'll have their little salad and protein and they're like, why can't you just be supportive of me? I definitely think it makes a difference. I think no matter how strong you are, I think it can be really challenging to to, to come home and, and if you have someone who's not on the same page as you, or who is not trying to help you and support you, then, um, yeah, it can, it can really, really be challenging. It can really be challenging. And then, you know, that, that goes to, I think there are a number of different things that go into that. It's like making sure that you, you know, working with your spouse to, to help them to, to support you. And where is it coming from that this spouse is not supporting supporting her right is it is it coming from a place of resentment and and he feels badly about himself for whatever reason or is it maybe that they're not a good match you know that's a horrible thing to say but 
you know, that, that can be part of it too. You can run it, you know, that deep. Um, but it's, it doesn't help when the spouse is not supportive, even if like, even if the spouse is not going, is not trying to be, it doesn't, you know, on a, on, on a diet, I don't want to say diet, but isn't trying to clean up his diet. Um, at least, you know, no, he needs to acknowledge, okay, well, you know, Jane is going to be home at this time. I want to make sure that she has healthy, healthy food in front of her. And, and I'm not tempting her with this and that and this and that, you know, with pizza or, um, or helping, you know, how he should help her by not keeping things in the house that she might be tempted to eat. Um, so yeah, it definitely provides a challenge. Okay. But I think for that, for women, it's, you know, you just have to be a little bit stronger and find your support systems outside of that challenge. So, so say you've exhausted all possibilities with your spouse and you've spoken to your spouse numerous times, like, I need you to help me. And then the spouse continues not to help her. And it's now it's like, okay, well, you can't control him, but you can control you and your actions and your thoughts and, and the support systems that you choose to turn to, to help you. So, so for her, it's about finding support systems outside of her spouse who are going to help her and acknowledging, okay, my spouse is not going to help me. So I'm going to cross him off the support <laughs> list and I'm going to go to people who will support me and, and make sure I'm spending ample time with people who will support me or have a line of communication with people who will support me so that when I go home and my spouse is not being supportive, I can reach out to those people who are being supportive. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, now with like this whole kind of like movement of women's health and strength and, you know, accepting your body, have you ever seen any kind of bad advice out there being given to women about all this? Hmm. Uh, spot training. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes, there is strength programming for hypertrophy of muscles, but like spot training, like, you know, when women come to you and they grab their, tri- their triceps area and they're like, how do I get rid of this? <laughs> yeah. how do I get rid of this? You know? And it's like, just, you know, there's, there's a whole, you can't spot train, you know, it's just, it's general strength training and, and nutrition. Like nutrition is a huge, like if your goal is fat loss or increasing lean body mass to, to fat and, you know, maybe like tightening things up on your body and building some muscle nutrition is a huge component. So combined with, with, you know, proper, you know, daily strength training and exercise, um, outside of spot training, I don't know what else is out there. Uh, so the, like the boutique, um, like the boutique fitness classes, you know, that cater, you know, which is goes with like, don't build for bulk, get like long lean muscles, like those yeah. boutique <laughs> classes, like that's definitely like that. The marketing that those boutique fitness classes put out is, um, very misleading because it helps it, it teaches women to it teaches them that building muscle is not necessarily good and that they can actually change their body type so like you know they can make their muscles long 
thin, which, you know, I'm short. I'll always have short muscles, no matter what <laughs> modality of exercise I participate in. So I can never make my muscles long. Um, you're going to build muscle according to your genetics. So, um, so that, I think that's also another, uh, myth that's out there. And, and that's still permeating those things. I mean, those, those, those boutique classes are really, really popular. So from like bar classes to, um, I don't know, there's just all sorts of things out there right now. So th- I think that goes back to like one of your, fir- your earlier questions in that, you know, they're always going to be there. That's always going to be there. They're always going to be popular. There's always going to be that group of women who flock to them and it fits for them. And, and so it's not about trying to, and every once in a while you might have one drop off and go to the strength training side, but it's, you know, for us as female coaches who are leading this charge, it's our responsibility to just focus on our message and daily, just put it out there in the most positive way that we can and focus on the people who are supporting that message and just kind of let everything build and grow from there rather than point out, you know, what the the negatives you know i think it's it's good to acknowledge the negatives of of these of these myths that these of the marketing that these boutique classes put out but um try not to waste too much time and energy on it because they're always going to be there yeah it gets annoying when your clients are like oh so do you think i should do this and it's like uh probably not (laughs) yeah it's it, it yeah but i think it's about educating okay well what, why do you want to do this? What do you want to work on that, you know, that it's driving you to want to do this, you know, kind of maybe just finding the why a little bit with, with your client. Definitely. Uh, so last question for you, now that you've kind of like gone through your career and kind of, it sounds like you kind of set up your life the way you kind of want it right now, what's kind of your morning ritual that you do and what's kind of like the first, first hour to two hours of your day? So I, it's, it's been a really interesting shift coming out here because, uh, you know, I spent almost nine years of my life waking up between 4 and 4.30 in the morning and starting my day at 6 a.m. and getting a, an insane amount of work done by like 10.30 or 11 a.m., you know, including my workout, right? So coaching and social media and couple of emails and a workout. And so being really productive earlier in my day and then, you know, in in bed by nine. So since we've come out here, our schedule is more afternoon and evening. So like when Eric goes into work, he goes in at like two and he usually works until typically he's at circ from two to 11 and he doesn't get home until like 11, 30, quarter, 12. And then when I go into work, I'm usually there anywhere from two to seven Um, so it's afternoon, evening. Uh, so our shift here has been more, we're going to bed later and we're waking up later and it's just been so weird. I like, I feel guilty, like, but I'm getting, I'm getting over that guilt because it's like, we're still getting the same amount done. Like we're still rising and grinding, but our rise is a little bit later and our grind is a little bit later. Um, so my typical morning would be like the first time. Um, so when I get up, um, I'll wake up and usually like between eight, like around eight or so, because usually I'm going to bed a little bit later. Um, it depends unless I have like something that I need to like 
get up a little bit earlier for. And that first hour, I'll, I'll get up, I turn on the coffee, I drink some water. I look at, I know it's horrible to look at my phone, but I do. I check my emails. And I think that's the other thing I've had to get used to is being three hours behind the East Coast. So it's kind of like a lot of people are already halfway through their day. So, um, so I check my emails and, um, then, then what I do is like, while I have my first cup of coffee is I'll sit there and, um, like this morning I wrote a social media post, so I might do something like that or, um, I will respond to emails depending on how pertinent they are. I try to respond to emails. And so that's like the first hour of my day. So just kind of waking up, making some coffee. Um, I usually drink some water before I have my coffee and I have enzymes and a probiotic and some aloe juice. And then I'll have my first cup of coffee, sit down, answer some emails and write a social media post or, um, work on something like that. And that's usually what I do before I'll, I'll eat my breakfast. Um, and if it's, if it's a day that I'm going into Cirque and I'm not going to be at home for working on online training stuff, um, I try to keep that, like, that's usually like, I try to keep what I'm doing in that first hour brief and something that I know that it won't carry beyond that hour so that I can kind of like get on with my day and get my training in and get ready to go into Cirque. Awesome. So have you found a difference now that you're waking up, um, later than earlier, like energy level wise? Like, do you feel more well rested or anything like that? I do. Oh my God. It's <laughs> amazing. It's now I don't wake up to an alarm now. So, which God, I feel guilty saying this on this podcast. <laughs> 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 this to the world, but I, you know, I worked really hard, so I guess I have to like, it's, I deserve, you know, some changes in my life that allow me to have a better quality of life. But yeah, I don't wake up to an alarm now, which is like amazing. And I am, I'm much, I'm much more well rested through my day. I don't nap anymore. I used to have to have to take naps. My moods are so much better and my training is so much better. It's just, it's been a much better shift. And, uh, and I really, I really appreciate it. And so it's, it's an interesting schedule. It's a totally different rise and grind than a lot of my colleagues who are in this, in this industry. But, um, but this is, this is our rise and grind and, um, it's, it's great. There's, there's something to be said for, for making a shift like this for sure. So it's a key to success, more sleep. (laughs) funny like yesterday I even said to Eric like I find that I'm more productive too during my day like because I'm not getting up so early and sleep deprived and struggling to get through my my morning and and my tasks and my training and all that because I'm not sleep deprived I'm so much more productive and I have I feel like in my mind I have so much more space for creativity for writing and thought and um it's it's a really nice feeling it's a very refreshing feeling no, I totally get it because I have three days where I wake up at 5 a.m. and it's a miracle if I can bring everything with me to work. <laughs> and then those days, I have two days where I get to like sleep in a little bit and I'm like invincible. I can do anything. <laughs> no, it's really, it's amazing what, what sleep does. It's, it, it's, it helps so much. And I'm someone who tends to, like I have a tendency to be, um, like in the past, I've, I've I've had panic attacks and I can have high anxiety. It's been a long time since I've had a panic attack, but I find that like, um, my anxiety and stress 
and those panic attacks tend to be brought on when I have, um, when I haven't had good sleep consecutively and it just sort of like builds up. And, um, so it's, that's, I think that I find that like my anxiety and stress level is like, it's so much lower, even maybe not even like non-existent at this point, which is, which is great. So for that, that's, it's fantastic. Awesome. Uh, so absolutely last question, cause we're already past an hour. Um, where can people find you online? Do you have any workshops coming up, any products or anything like that? And just plug away. Um, so you can find me online on, I'm most active on Instagram and I do link my Instagram to my Facebook page, which is iron body by Artemis. So at iron body by Artemis and, um, then my website is ironbodybyartemis.com. So that's my blog. Uh, I haven't done a post since last month, but I do try to keep that updated pretty much. And um, products, I have online training. I offer online training through a platform called exercise.com. I offer one-on-one training. I also have a group subscription, and um, I also have single-sale programs. So um, all that information is, I have a link in my bio on Instagram directly to where all the information is, and it's also on my website, ironbodybyartemis.com. Right now, I don't have any workshops planned with this move. I didn't plan any workshops for 2017 just because I wanted to settle in here in Vegas, and I knew that I might be working for Cirque du Soleil, so I wanted to focus on that. And so that my primary focus right now is on my online training clients and on whatever work I'm doing for Cirque du Soleil. I did uh, one of the women... Uh, who got her certification last month in LA strong for sort of kettlebell certification last month in LA. She's from Vegas. She's right here and she owns a Pilates, a yoga and Pilates studio and they do kettlebell training there. So I, I talked to her about doing some local workshops at her facility. So I think as far as workshops, they will be more local and, um, kettlebell basics or, um, I have like an advanced kettlebell ballistics workshop that I do more focused on that here locally in Vegas, I think is what I'll be doing for 2017 before I start to kind of go nationally or globally again. So awesome. Uh, so thank you so much for all your time. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And sorry if I like carried on beyond the <laughs> No worries. <laughs> okay, so that's going to wrap up episode 43 with Artemis. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that one as Artemis is freaking strong and knows what she's doing when it comes to strength training and getting your first chin up. And uh, if you have any feedback, thoughts, concerns, or just want to say hello, email me at rafael at empowerhp.ca. Follow me on social media and share this podcast and that would be greatly, greatly appreciated until next week.